Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1431, entitled, now look, everything that you put quantum in front of immediately sounds better. So we're going to call it (laughs) Quantum G, or a funny thing happened on the way to the realm. Very nice, very nice. Our podcast title is anti Pod Ian, because we're down in Australia, you know, <laughs> we're in the in the microverse, as it were. I know they call it the quantum quantum realm, but I'm, it's little. It must be a microverse. And I am Rob mm. Jan and Megan McHugh. We're going to be talking about Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and it is the thirty first film of the MCU. Oh. What a whopper. First in Phase 5 too. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> that is a huge franchise. Look, it, all of you film buffs out there will know that there are other franchises that have more entries, but not that many more mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of other franchises. You know, so, wow, well down the track there. And, of course, then there's all the television shows too. Yes. And Phase 4... Now, what was Phase 5? There was a movie about ants called Phase 5, or Phase 4, actually, about ants taking over the world. Putting that to one side, um, you'll find that these long-legged franchises, often they've got common themes running through them or particular characters. You know, they might be based around, like, Godzilla or something like that. But in this case... It's the Marvel franchise, and the characters are always shifting. Mm. Not only are they shifting in actual physicality, as in different characters, they're also added in multiverse variants. Yes, yes. Different, your different sort of uh, copies of you from other multiverses, and it's it's very hard to keep a grip on. <laughs> and time variants too from different yes. times you know so it might be it might be the same iron man tony stark but you might see a younger version at some stage mm. you know it's mm. so mm. complicated and that's all right you know this is what it's set up to be it's it's written on the tin yes. uh, if you don't want to commit to that fine you know go and watch something that's not quite as taxing go and watch some dc movies ooh burn <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, we've we've reviewed many a DC movie on Zero G, and we've enjoyed quite a few of them too. Yeah, and the ones, you know, we've been open-minded going into them, and we have been disappointed by some, but I've been honest, there's been Marvel movies I've been disappointed in too, so it just happens there's more DC ones. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I, I can honestly say that of, of the 31 Marvel movies, there's not one that's made me lose the will to live like Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League. That one really threw you for a loop. That one had you on the edge, Rob. That was the... <laughs> that... And look, me too. I think, some, uh, you know, that's just arrogance in my mind, a, a mission like that. But anyway... <laughs> 
All right, that's enough talking about other franchises. Yeah. <laughs> how do I even approach this? How do I call it, use the name for it? Quantum Mania, I guess. I feel like I'm watching a 1970s or 60s uh, rock musical movie or something. All right, so this is all based on uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp in, in mm. terms of the characters and also, well, you've seen from the trailer, you know that the villain of the piece is Kang the Conqueror. Yes. So, and we have seen him before too, but we'll get on to that. You know, this is the first Phase 5 movie. After this, there's the uh, the Secret Invasion television series and the Guardians yep. of the Galaxy 3 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually saw the um, the trailer for GOTG3 at the cinema today oh. when we saw oh, Ant-Man. I to look it up. We mm-hmm. also got the, uh, the next Spider-Man animated movie trailer too. Nice. Yeah, they're going for all of the relevant. Just, yeah. just go and see Marvel stuff is what they're saying to us. Okay, so this is once again directed by Peyton Reed. It is. He's he's directed the previous two movies as well. He took over the helm of Ant-Man, the first film, from Edgar Wright. So Edgar Wright did have a hand in writing the story for that first film, but then when he stepped away, Peyton Reed has come in to direct, take the helm for directing. And he has directed plenty of comedies before that as well. He did the spectacular teen cheerleader movie Bring It On, which is a cult classic and critical success in my mind. Uh, Down With Love, Romantic Comedy, the breakup, yes, man, and then of course uh, a bit of dabbled in some TV. Two episodes of Mandalorian season two. I feel this movie has to deal with quite a bit. It's carrying a, quite a load as the the flag bearer for Phase Five. Mm-hmm. It's pivoting to away from the uh, the Thanosian Infinity War cycle. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And although we didn't establish Kang in this movie, he was actually brought to us in the Loki television series. And this is a, a whole thing now. I mean, you know, it's backwards and forwards between the TV shows and the movies. Yes. Yes. And this is new for them because, of course, they've always had the Netflix series, Jessica Jones and so on. But you, you could see them as sort of a side canon. And as it's been sort of said now, only some of that is considered real yeah. MCU canon. Um, but now it's all very interwoven where we go hopping back and forth like strands on the timeline. Mm. And it's kind of a, a phenomenon that makes sense to comic book fans because, mm. you know, if you're a comic book fan, then you get drawn, say you're a fan of, well, picking at random, say Iron Man. And if you're, for example, for example <laughs> um, you know, you could, you could read Iron Man in his mainstream title, any number mm-hmm. of smaller spin-off mini story arcs, and yeah. ones where he is teamed up with other people, like five or six different Avengers um, yeah. titles. Yeah. So it's the same thing with this. You know, I mean, you've got uh, the Ant-Man character has been in multiple movies now. Absolutely. Yeah, he's had little cameos and things. Little cameos? Little cameos. I'd say, too, one of the, the things about Phase 4 was the – sheer velocity like they released a lot of projects over the span of two years I think it was 17 different tv and movies and that's that's a lot and that is a lot for fans to keep up with and like you said even though it's something comic book fans are used to characters dipping in and out having to kind of keep on top of story threads across tv and movies in that short space of time it's a lot even for for you know died in the wool fans I think so I think they're slowing that right down and they're trying to be a bit more considered with their releases in Phase 5. Yeah, yeah. 
I feel that uh, to get the most out of this movie, although I've, I hear funny things sometimes from fans who say, I've never seen any of the Marvel movies and I just watched this one. It made perfect sense to me. You know, I don't. Th- I think that's that. highly implausible. No, no, I've, I've heard that, that is, that is no. I've heard no. that, but not from many. What is sense to that person is what I would like to ask. <laughs> but not not very many people. It's usually like some yeah, someone's sure. mum, or you know. Oh, bless them! And they're just trying to get along and enjoy the movie. And I'm sure there's stuff you could enjoy here without being able to connect the dots. But. Or the ants, as it were. But in this case, mm. you'd want to see Ant-Man 1 and t- then Ant-Man and the Wasp. You can get away without Wasp because I actually haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that, yeah, that's a kind of, I, It is kind of a shame because it introduces the uh, Evangeline Lilly interpretation of the Wasp and establishes her as a as a potential love interest or perhaps yes. Scott Lang as her love interest. Either way, it all works. Yeah. it all works quite well in that. Uh, but the other films that are kind of essential, obviously, Infinity Wars and Endgame, and yeah. um, even even um, Civil War, Captain America: Civil Civil mm. War is uh, important too. And he sh- Tic Tac, as um, the Falcon calls him, shows up in uh, little bits and pieces elsewhere. And um, mm. Paul Rudd even voiced the uh, the character in the What If Marvel animated. Yeah. I mean, Rudd's Ant-Man is such a, a great character, I think, that you would be it would be worth seeing everything that he appears in, to be honest, if you wanted to get a full sense of it. But you do need the other context as well, like story context. So you're right. You also need to maybe tick off some of the other previous phase stuff to even know what we're talking about as we move into the Kang era. Yes. The Kang dynasty, as they say. <laughs> All right. So, look, Paul Rudd, great actor. A fine, Love Rudd. fine comic comic actor. Um, so it's it's Lang versus Kang, as they say yeah. <laughs> in this one. Uh, look, I he is actually one of the solid performances in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it before. He's he's playing the sort of occasionally dim witted. Um, Lovable rogue, basically, in this. Well-meaning ex-con trope, you know, doesn't want to do wrong, somehow ends up in situations where he does, but isn't a bad guy, that kind of thing. We sort of learn pretty quickly that it's easy to love him even though he's he's let people down in his time, and I think we're really hitting that note pretty hard on this one too. And in this one we're really developing the idea of the the incredible shrinking family. In this yes. case, but- we're getting a bit of an ensemble going, in fact, rather. Whereas before he was solo ant, he's got a bit of a colony now. Yes. <laughs> and I feel that that aspect of it, the family aspect, is actually brought out quite well by the screenwriter of this one, uh, Jeff Loveness, who is mm-hmm. a comic book writer, amongst other things, screenwriter, mm-hmm. TV writer, actor. Uh, you know, yeah. we know his work from Rick and Morty. And he's also doing the Avengers, the Kang Dynasty movie. Interesting. As well. Interesting. Yeah. And he did some work on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. He's got like a bit of comedy writing, skit writing, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's mm, that's very interesting about his, his writing background versus some issues I had with the narrative on this one. So, mm, mm. Mm, interesting. So moving along a bit, let's have a track here, I think. It's oh, time yes, for, sounds good. Time for a bit of music. We've 
chosen one of the needle drops from the movie, from the movie, which is from a show, the needle drop that is. <laughs> uh, Welcome back. If you were around in the seventies, you might have seen a show called Welcome Back, Cotter, with John Travolta in it, and that gives me a connection to Michelle Pfeiffer, who's in this Ant Man movie, because uh, she and John Travolta were in a a production of Grease. At one stage, not the movie. Was she in Greece too? She was in Greece too, wasn't it she? Might Michelle Pfeiffer might have been Greece too. Uh, I think she was in, in Greece movie. too. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, this is not that. Although I could have played that. Come to think of it, but this is Welcome Back, Cotter, which is about a television show about a teacher in a school, and it was you know one of those misfit schools. Come to think of it, didn't Michelle Pfeiffer star in a movie about a school? Yes, she did. Dangerous Minds. Mm. John Sebastian is the composer. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Welcome back. <laughs> in, case you, <laughs> Indeed. in case you didn't get the lyric, uh, Jonathan Sebastian, from the 1970s television show, Welcome Back, Cotter. And that particular one comes from 70 hits of the 70s. You would not be surprised Ooh. at that, would you? <laughs> uh, actually, the cover's great. It's got orange and brown stripes on it. Yeah. Love that. Very 70s. Yeah. I was getting a bit confused before because I was looking up music about um, John Travolta and Michelle Pfeiffer and... Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was in Greece too, but Jonathan Travolta yes. wasn't. But mm. Jonathan Travolta and Michelle Pfeiffer were in Hairspray. There you go. And, you, yes, you got the whole stage thing. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, so complicated. But not as complicated as Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Oh, is that the full title? I thought it was just Ant-Man Quantumania, but you're right. They've got the and the Wasp bit in there too. They have. They have. All right. so. You know, look, I, I can't praise Paul Rudd enough for this. That Welcome Back Cotter comes from a, a needle drop in the film um, and he sort of bookends the, the film with just bopping around San Francisco. I love that. Really great, really great bookends. I thought that tone was perfect. That's the exact kind of cutaway I'd expect from an Ant-Man movie. Could have just done both those bookends without the bit in the middle. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um but I thought that was a really nice way to open the film uh, and give you a little bit of background and set the tone a bit as well. Well, I actually agree with your first comment. This obviously spells the end for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the last film they shall ever do, and I have spoken. <laughs> I'm only kidding. You know, look, there's actually there's a line in the film um, where uh, Kang and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer are facing off at some stage and they, she says, this is the end of everything. And he says, no, no, there's never, you still don't get it. There's never, it never stops. It never ends. And this, this is what I feel about the MCU. They could, they could do like five or six bad movies in a row. And I reckon they could still just keep going because, you know, I reckon they would. I think you probably have a bit more patience than a lot of audiences though. I think, I mean, I suppose because they can hop around to so many different mainline characters and different areas and, and genre. uh, genres as well. Yeah. So they've got some opportunities. So one dud doesn't spell the end because we're not relying on the same formula each time. But I do think it's becoming more patchy as we mo- move along and I don't really know whether that's just the longevity or they've got a lot of projects going on at once. But 
or there's just ex- the weight of expectation. Um, are they suffering from success? You know, this. Yeah. Are they hoovering up all of the special effects companies in the world? <laughs> well, and I did read to say that some of the effects on this film were affected by the fact that Black Panther Wakanda Forever was prioritised across a lot of these effects houses. They were working on both films and they were told explicitly that Black Panther was to be the priority and it got a lot of the resources. I didn't, personally, I didn't see this film and think the CGI was terrible or anything like that by no stretch, but apparently it did not get the resources it might otherwise have gotten. So you're right, they're vying, they're, it's a cannibalistic system where they're vying for their own resources really. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, this is as much as you can say without having seen the film and then we go and see it and there's other things that we can say about it too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's let's dig in. Let's continue on. Other characters maybe um, our thoughts on, well, as someone who had not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, I did know though that Michelle Pfeiffer had been introduced as Janet Van Dyne, who's a bit of a pivotal one in this mm. film. She's Hope. Hope Van Dyne's mother. Yes. So Hope is the Wasp as well, obviously played by Evangeline Lilly, and her father Hank Pym is played by Michael Douglas. So this is the little family unit that we've mentioned uh, and also now been joined by Catherine Newton, who's playing Cassie Lang Scott's daughter. So she now is the third actress Mm. to play Cassie. So as a child she was played by Abby Ryder Forston and then in Avengers she was played by Emma Furman who was recast and not really told about it until Catherine Newton's casting was announced. That's a bit of a dog move in my mind but not uncommon in Hollywood. Um, So that's a bit unfortunate but yes Catherine Newton was brought on I think because she had a bit more broader appeal and was a bit more well known. She's been in Supernatural, Pokemon Detective Pikachu and did you see that horror movie with Vince Vaughn, Freaky? No. She was in that and apparently that she was very good in that so I can see why they've decided to add her into the mix. So that's kind of rounding out our little ant family. Um, I thought they were all they were all pretty good, but they'd already been established, some established relationships and characters in prior movies. Yeah. So, and that's what it feels like when, you know, and this is interesting, Peyton Reed was originally going to direct the Fantastic Four movie. He was, and then he s- stepped away. Mm. And I think he actually understands the family dynamics quite well because, you know, that part of the film, um, I have no problem at all with the family relationships mm. work well. They they bicker well, <laughs> but they all they do. It, there's a great dinner scene that I actually think everybody like the pace and the chemistry in that was quite good. And that I mean they do get a bit split up in the film, which is a bit of a shame because I actually do think their scenes together are quite strong. Yeah, well, I think um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. We you know she's been beloved by movie-going fans forever, especially, yeah. you know, Catwoman, uh, all that sort of stuff. So she's got form in the uh, the super <laughs> suit sort of capacity. Well, the funny thing is she doesn't actually get a super suit in this one. <laughs> no. I mean, they're, they're all super smart, though. So yeah. they're really they're bringing their smarts and the science, science into the table is a big part of it as well. And they're really trying to introduce Cassie, too, as another force for science. We've got a lot of young women great at science, which I'm happy to see. Women in STEM, hmm. let's go for it. Um, but, yeah, they've kind of introduced her as another family genius. She, well, actually, the Michelle Pfeiffer character, uh, Janet, um, Janet Van Dyne, she was in... 
the quantum realm, and this is like, as I said, a microverse that's mm-hmm. that's part of our world, but it's like one molecule or yeah. atom or something like that, one molecule. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny. And yet they always manage to get into the same one. Yes, and they always fall in the same spot. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, there's probably some kind of quantum resonance, something to do with string theory and, you know. Oh, yeah. You just throw enough of those terms around and we'll get there. But obviously it works out that way. Uh, anyway, they Janet was marooned in there for 30 years. Gosh, can you realize that? That's a lot, man. That's a lot. Mm. Um, and eventually they got her out of that and she never really told anyone what happened there. So this this quantum mania is a way of catching us up with that. And there's one of the problems of the film. Michelle Pfeiffer's a great actress, but she's given too much exposition. To she is. She is. I will say, too, about the setting in the quantum mania, I feel like a bit of a numpty because the movie's called Quantum Mania. I didn't really click with me until they were in the quantum realm that the whole film was going to be set in the quantum realm. So we're talking a lot of CGI, and we'll get to that. I'm not saying all CGI is bad by any stretch of the imagination, but that is a lot of movie to be set in a fantasy realm that we've never really seen before, has not really been set up, or at least is is being set up here for the first time afresh, right? Well, we've visited it briefly. Uh, Now we're – this is like – this is the world building phase of it. Yeah. And they yeah, do all, yeah, yeah. It, it's a massive world building movie this one. Yeah, and and I would say the world building is a bit lackluster and that's what I found to be one of the problems when you're setting something in a brand new realm. I didn't feel it really I don't know. I didn't feel a connection to it. So that, that I've just felt silly when I was like, oh, obviously, yeah, this whole movie is going to be in the quantum realm. It's called quantum mania. What a silly assumption I've made. Michelle Pfeiffer serves as our guide to this new realm because obviously it was her turf for three decades. Yeah. So she automatically knows pretty much everything that's going on there. And that's actually kind of delightful mm. that she does. Like, you know, they do that old um, gag of uh, she meets somebody who she knows or knows something about and they do something that horrifies her family, but it's yeah, her, it's like, the key to it, you know. Yeah, they're like, ah, it's all one big joke kind of thing and she's in on it. Yeah. It, it does have a jaunty sort of tone to it for, in part, but nowhere near as um, as chucklesome as Paul Rudd's usual sort of fare. So they've dialed back a bit of his no. shtick, partly because he's not on screen as much as he might be because this is an ensemble movie. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not just Ant-Man anymore. And I think they've also wanted to give him a bit more of a serious piece of turmoil to deal with, which is his relationship with Cassie, his daughter, and, uh, you know, trying to rebuild that relationship after time away from the blip. And also before that being a bit of an absentee absentee dad as well. And so we kind of try to, they're trying to introduce a bit of turmoil backstory for poor old Scott where before he really was a lot of just comic relief. Mm, mm. Just going back to that exposition, Captain Exposition for yeah. for uh, Janet, uh, <laughs> she could almost have benefited from um, having Lewis from the previous Ant-Man movies. <laughs> yes, bring him back. Do the narration. <laughs> I think, and I think though, yeah, <laughs> that would have been a fan fave. It, I think. There was exposition there and flashbacks, 
But I think, I don't know, it still didn't quite get the world building level that I was after. Did you feel that there was a bit of low rent June Star Wars energy going on in that quantum realm though? I actually liked it better than most of the Star Wars energy that I see. But yeah, a bit of um, that kind of thing going on there. We had a, a, a sort of a desert scene and um, it just felt uh, even some of the costuming and the characterization of obviously we've got this environment where they've been quite creative with different kinds of beings that live there. And, you know, there's a cantina-esque scene. I just was like, this feels all familiar, but not in a good way. In a way they've, they've kind of what's homage and what's laziness, which sounds is, really harsh. But This is a problem and I could be wrong here, but, uh, this is a problem that some Marvel stuff will have because it's got very long legs in terms of when it was originally created. And if you go back to some of the quantum microverse sort of miniaturized stuff that they were doing, some of this stuff was coming out in the 60s and the 70s. So it actually predates Star Wars. Some was it. it that style though? Like I think there's some yeah. definitely some yeah, you got- visuals in this that I was like, I mean maybe they're all pulling from the same pool at that time and other things have just more familiar, come out earlier, and so I'm seeing it as you remember, a follow-on. Do you remember the, not- the John Carter movie? Um, mm. you know, that's going back to Edgar Rice Burroughs and people are going, oh, it's ripping off Star Wars, it's ripping off whatever, you know. But that actually comes, the source material goes way back before all of that sort of stuff. I feel it's very mm. Jack Kirby-esque, the, uh, the landscapes. Anyway, let's have another track here. Uh, and I think we, because otherwise we'll become the expositioners <laughs> as we do our expedition into the quantum realm. Um, I think we'll have some ant music here. <laughs> okay. Adam and the Ants. And this is from the, the album Kings of the Wild Frontier. Just to get a bit nostalgic anyway. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. Uh, newly romanticising about being back in the 80s there with... Adam and the Ants, Ant Music, admonishing teenagers to turn away from disco music. (laughs) Ah, you know, it was revolutionary back then. Speaking of revolution, we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, latest MCU Mm -hmm. movie. And we've talked about the family, the Pims and the Langs and so on. And Dimes. And who has to stand against this plucky band of do-gooders. One man, Kang the Conqueror. The name of Kang the Conqueror, Mm. who we've met. We've met before. Yes, in the Loki season, (laughs) which was pretty high-key after all. And he is an interdimensional time-travelling monarch, basically, Mm. played by Jonathan Mm. Majors. Oh, Breath of fresh air, very hyped when I first saw him in Loki, very pleased that he was to play a big role in this one. He is the key antagonist. I think he is one of the high points of the movies, to be honest. I think Mm. his performance is very, it brings like a lot of gravitas and the, the performance is kind of, he's playing it very melancholy and serious, which could come off as a bit silly against the backdrop, but he just really pulls off this kind of brooding Kang who at the same time is a really formidable figure. And I think he's, I mean, he's, he's a fantastic actor. 
Do we have another Thanos here? I think we have someone who rivals definitely the charisma of that. Cause you know, there's bits of where you're like, oh, Thanos, I kind of get what you're saying. Like, I hate to admit it, but you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. As the, as the collectible mug says, Thanos was right. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, Kang kind of has in some ways this idea of, I guess, the greater mission, which does involve, you know, some carnage and some conquering, but uh, very clear, clear vision in his mind, which is kind of very multi-threaded, multiversal, multi-timeline, mm. um, as is Kang. Mm. Very many variants. And we've seen variants of Jonathan Majors opposite uh, Chadwick Boseman in Defy Bloods. Yes, which we covered here on Zero G and really enjoyed. It was a great film, Spike Lee. And, of course, he's in Lovecraft Country as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I found the character of Kang quite compelling that the way that they yeah. portrayed it here. We don't really know entirely what he's on about. Um, we've seen him talking about things in Loki, so that mm-hmm. added some extra dimension. So he sort of hit the ground running in this one. Yes, uh, he seems yeah. to be able to change direction very quickly. Yeah, and that's just when he's playing the one variant of Kang. And that's it. There's a lot of meat in this role because Majors will be, it plays different variants, as you mentioned, of the Kang character in different modes of dress. And uh, we, I think we're going to see a lot more of Kang and a lot more of different Kang. Hmm. <laughs> it's a strange thing that we're talking about today. It, sometimes <laughs> I think if people took a sound bite of just a little snippet of our conversation, they'd be like, what? is going on <laughs> but it's legitimate it's legitimate that's Kent's character he's multiversal man just to touch base on where we actually are in all this we are in a microscopic world that's that's part of the fabric of the planet earth but it's on a miniature 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 tiny yeah. tiny wee scale that they access using their pin particle technology and yeah. we've got our little band of ant, not well. They should be the ant agonists, you know, the Pims and the Langs. They're all stuck there. At least two of them are Avengers, <laughs> so they yes. they are, they are actually <laughs> professionals, surviving yeah. Avengers. That is, and yes, yes. you know, so they cannot help but get caught up in this revolution against Kang the Conqueror, who is also a. a, a incursion into this small universe. Yeah, as as mentioned before, we get introduced to new sets of characters. This world has, you know, communities. It has hierarchies. It has a kind of, you know, it's got its own issues. It's a fully fleshed. It's not just a void. Uh, we're, we're talking there's creatures here, there's humanoids here, and they play with that a bit. Um, and yeah, that's very, part of the world building. There seems to be a very wide variety of humanoids in this world too. That's not just it's not just um, bipedal humans that it seem mm-hmm. seem familiar, but may not actually be because some of them are telepaths. Uh, although in the MCU, that's hard. That's like Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see what? Okay, so there's a few other uh, characters in there, you know, and. Before we depart from Kang, I would like to say I want to see more of him. I want to see yeah. uh, younger versions of Kang, older versions, yeah. and I, I think we're going to be treated to that throughout the whole. Yeah, and, I mean, look, this is probably just a me thing. Shirtless Kang, I'm up for some of that. We saw a little bit in the film. Okay. But, you know, let's 
let's parade some of that as well. <laughs> is he buff? I can't tell because, you know, the costume's making. Oh, yes, Rob, he's quite buff. Okay. <laughs> Very Well, you know, he's got the physicality, but you're right, he is mostly covered up in his special suit in this one. Mm. Um, but I, I think that maybe some other forms of Kang will be in different dress, different costuming. I hope less costuming, let's say. But anyway, that's I'm being I'm being very superficial. But yeah. it's fun to have, you know, a villain who is both, you know, got a lot of room to grow and, you know, see what he's going to get up to. But as well, you know, they can parade him for a bit of eye candy. Nothing wrong with that. Well, they've always got room to grow in an, an Ant-Man movie because they can do Giant <laughs> Man as well, you know. Exactly. In fact, wasn't that one of the lines in uh, that um, Scott Lang wrote in his biography? <laughs> Yeah, we should have got some key sound bites from that. That was actually one of the threads, the comedy threads that I did enjoy. I should say autobiography because he wrote it himself, didn't he? He did write it himself. Did you hear he wrote a book, Rob? He wrote a book. He did, as well as saving saving the universe and being an Avenger. Had time to write a book through all that. Katie O'Brien plays one of the revolutionaries in the microverse, a character called Gentora, which I really could not spell until I looked it up because I I really didn't, you know. But we've seen her before as a character called George in Z Nation, so I've seen seen her quite a lot in that, Uh, and also in the, uh, the Black Lightning CW series. Gotcha, yep. And she was a communications officer in the second season of The Mandalorian. And and if you thought that she might be someone who actually was a martial artist, you'd be absolutely correct. Mm, She's got that physicality, yeah. Yeah. Um, She is just a force of nature in this film. And, you know, you can compare her to uh, Akoya uh, or any of the other great warrior women in the MCU. I think she's just a fine piece of work in this. And, you know, she just looks perfect at the head of troops charging and yelling and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I wish, and I think she is is great. I think that character, I wish that character had a bit more to it, a bit more to do, but I guess we didn't, you know, there's a lot going on. We didn't have the time, but I would have loved to see a bit more of that character. It's not her first incursion into Marvel. She was also in three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's some characters we can't mention because I don't want to give away that because it's a rather cute surprise. Um, But we've got David Dastmalkian. He's playing a sort of a a blobby character in this. Uh, He was in the, The Dark Knight and in the flash, so you know, people <laughs> crossing over between franchises. Um, oh, was... I love how you called him a blobby character. They'd be like, Mum, guess what? I got the blobby role. <laughs> he was Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad, and he was in Dune oh. as well. He's uh, actually a bit of a, an alumni of the, uh, the Dennis uh, Villeneuve films, Prisoners, Blade Runner 2049, and Dune. Oh. So, yeah, he's just sort of pops up there really is a I don't know if they got him to do the um the motion capture as well that'd be fun. I hope so I hope so <laughs> so there's a few people running around in the background doing that sort of yes. thing not yeah. as many from you know as, as I said uh unfortunately Lewis isn't in there or any no. of, any of the other wombats because they, they don't actually spend much it's time on earth on that's it well it, it is quantum... it's below earth you know it it is but it, we're you know we're fully in 
uh, fantastical territory here. So we've only got room for so many normies down there. So we've got our discrete cast of characters and then a whole bunch of new ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, actually, uh, yes, new ones and some other ones that are familiar. <laughs> and, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> and a cameo, which you've probably already heard about, but we won't spoil it here just in case. Yeah, someone probably got paid a decent amount of money for that one scene. <laughs> But I want to see more of him in the MCU. Remember when we had Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. 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 I want more. This of... feels a bit like that, right? This it does. is a very similar ilk. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, you know, look, we can have a bit more of a discussion about this film in general terms. I, I think the CGI, um, I actually like the CGI. It was in that sort of fantastic realm, a couple of notches below Avatar. But mm. I was into the world building as a visual thing. I think sure, yeah. There was a, so much CGI in here. It was like living in the void in the Mandalorian, you know. Yeah, and I, I'm all right with that, given what they were trying to depict. I'm a little less satisfied with how they used it in places. Sure, uh, yep. we jumped around from different parts. I didn't get really a huge sense of place of where Agree. I was. It but, felt like a series of sound stages, but weren't really sound stages because they were CGI. I agree. You don't get a sense of where anything is or the scale or orientation. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a time when I was thinking, I don't quite know where these are connected, how these connect. Is this the, this is the capital city. Here's the hinterland. Here's a, a secret base sort of thing. I don't know, you know, and usually yeah. MCU movies are quite strong. It may be an artifact of, of what we were trying to explore, this entire new world. And, you know, maybe that's part of it. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think there's been films in the past that had to deal with introducing new ensemble characters. That's a challenge. Or going to new places totally and, you know, setting whole worlds in other, in space or in other environments. That's a challenge. I think this being like it's a blank slate in a way. And so from my perspective, I think there was actually very little overhead and they could they. I would have expected it to be done Hmm. a bit better. The world building, the sense of place, the introduction of how that world works, the characters, I thought all of that was a bit lacking. And I do think I agree on the design of the world. I think my largely a lot of my problems are about the script in this one. I think the pacing, in general, the narrative I felt It wanted to say, it wanted to give the story of Scott, you know, Scott and Cassie rebuilding their relationship. We also wanted to uncover a bit of, you know, what Janet's time in the realm was like while building this whole sense of, you know, underdogs, uh, conqueror community, you know, Kang's here. He's been, he's been causing terror on this land for generation, which I didn't really feel like they said that they said he's here and it sucks, but I didn't feel that in the world. And you know, I think there was comedy that didn't hit sometimes at the expense of over-relying on some established characters and relationships. A lot of what I felt worked well was things we'd seen in other films already built up and had the context for, like the Pym family and so on. I think there was a point where I was I was bored. Like I didn't really care to see the outcome. Like I wanted to see more Kang. I didn't care about what happened to the people in the quantum realm and that's Aww. terrible. Who am I? You're a fiend. <laughs> I, I know, I know, Rob. You, I'm ashamed of myself does too. Your, does, your, 
Does your heart not bleed for the oppressed living buildings? Yeah, I know. I'll actually no. But see, again, I think that's a triumph of the production design and the art department. I think that is where the joy and the comedy came from, some of the visuals. And it concerns me if I think it should have been a stronger script. Um, And I wonder if it's, you know, if someone's coming from a comedy background, maybe like a whole linear, like a narrative, a full climax, you know, ups and downs, bringing it all together. I mean, maybe that was missing. I just felt it was a bit like, I mean, what was, I've ranted about the narrative. What were your thoughts on the pace and story? Well, I've said before that I think that the Marvel universe at the moment, it's strength of its television series, which Mm, are longer form than movies. Uh, yeah. And they're able to get much more density and signal across in those and, yeah. and build rich characterizations. You know, some of those have been incredible. And the, the problem is a movie, you don't get that long to do this. And, it's, and if, yeah. if you've got multiple characters like this one and they're all trying to, you know, put their hand up for attention, I think that's very difficult to shoehorn it all in. And I, I agree. I think that this film was carrying too much. It, it would easily have been, it would have made a good um, two movies at least to develop everything that they put into play. So there's that, that shake and bake world building is all very well, but if you don't get a chance to play in it, it just sort of uh, mm. falls off into the background as eye candy. I also think the dialogue could have been better in places. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we were used to Paul Rudd uh, being such a, a <laughs> Such a rascally rogue. A larrikin. Yeah. When he's not on screen and Kang's not on screen, which has nothing yeah. to do with the, the prowess of the other actors, there's no, a little no. bit of a of a, of a lack. So, yeah. Look, there yeah. is a soundtrack for this movie in itself, and we should do a, a quick um, just oh, yep. nod to Christoph Beck. This is a, a, oh, yes. a short little track from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Christoph Beck is an excellent writer of music we've seen his work before or heard his work before in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer for example mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. right and there's lots of great puns in the uh, the playlist too for the soundtrack album he's Kang he saw he conquered <laughs> this is Jack Dan author of Bad Medicine for Zero G the science fiction fantasy and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM He's Kang, he saw, he conquered, Christoph Beck, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, one of the riffs in the soundtrack album. It's actually a pretty decent soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah. One of those ones I'd like to hear in, in its entirety stand alone because they all get overwhelmed a bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. And it's got some familiar riffs because Beck did other work on the other Ant-Man movies too. Oh, yeah. Did you see this one 2D or 3D? I wasn't aware I could see it in 3D actually. I did see it in 3D at IMAX, actually. Oh, yeah. wow, wow. And there were some sequences that the 3D was used to good effect, as you would expect. I think for a large amount of it, 2D is fine. Uh, I have mixed feelings about 3D. I know you're a fan of 3D. I feel like it might be something you'd enjoy to see in 3D, though. Um, and like you said before, I think 90% of this film I saw was filmed in front of green screen, so there is a lot of CGI. I, as a concert, don't have a problem with that. Um, but I do think that you need to have some excellent production design and world building to, to prop up that CGI. So I think my the, the kind of crux of my issue is around 
the lack of world building and lack of propulsive narrative. And so that just let me a bit, left me a bit lackluster, left me dragging along the back of the ship for most of the time. So, and a couple of visual gags and one liners, I giggled, but not enough comedy to see me through and not enough, like, I, you know, I, I want to go spend time on Arrakis or, you know, traipsing through with the Mandalorian. If I'm going to be watching a whole movie set in a new place, this wasn't a place I really cared that much about, to be totally honest. So that's my final kind of rundown. What about you, Rob? I'm I'm kind of there in, in a way, but I didn't, like I said, I didn't not enjoy parts of it. Um, mm. It's not the worst from my point of view Marvel movie that I've seen, but it's certainly it's certainly a long way from the best. Yeah. Would you rewatch it, do you think? Oh, I'm going to have to. <laughs> my partner hasn't seen it, so Gail and I always watch Marvel movies together at some stage. So, yes, I will watch it again and see what I can pick up from it that I've missed in yeah. in the earlier one. I actually can see this. I can see that how this would work in 3D, so with the Giant Man stuff. Totally. Yeah. Look, um, in terms of a zero-G, yeah, nah, maybe rating, I'm actually in this with a, a maybe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it does move the MCU along. It sets up Kang for the next phase. Um, you know, in a way, it's it feels like a bit of a swan song for Ant-Man and Wasp and so on because they've yeah. had a fairly long run for a little bit and they were actually founding Avengers too back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't care for it, <laughs> but there was stuff I enjoyed. There were good things about it for sure. I'm not totally going to drag it. Yeah, um, yeah, because but... it, it, it it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it was it was a, a competently made film, but not up to the level that it should have been. No, and there's there's yeah finer entries in the MCU that I would prefer to see. It's Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. It's out now. Mm-hmm. There are two end credit sequences, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, but just in case, we'll let, yeah, remind. And a bit of music to go out with will be actually Paul Rudd and um, Jason mm. Siegel, a track called Limelight from... I Love You Man, the film, so a little ditty from that. And we'll try and squeeze in a little bit of David Dasmalkian. It's an addition to the uh, Quantum Mania OST, and it's called Holes, and his little blobby character is very obsessed with the number of holes that humans have. It's ridiculous. I don't know why they put this in, but we'll play that and then we'll go out with the limelight track. So that's it for Zero G for today. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to Alice Savage, our podcaster. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.